Welcome to Climate Optimists. I'm Jason Lewis. And I'm Todd Deshida. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Whether you're a loyal podcast listener or you've just found us, we would love your help expanding the reach of the podcast. Assuming you think we're worth recommending, and I know that's a big assumption, tell your friends uh, to subscribe on their podcast platform of choice. Rate us if your podcast platform allows for that. All that helps us get the word out about climate solutions and advancing our our mission. I also wanted to call out that we had a vote on potential topics for December. We had four choices, and the winner, after counting all the votes, was climate disinformation. I knew it. So we'll be having we'll be having an episode on that in December. Coming in a close second was greener homes and buildings. Nice. And so we'll be we'll be tackling that topic too. That may be in December, maybe in January, but we're definitely going to dig into both. So Todd, I think you uh, you were able to drum up some uh, reasons for hope this week. I got a big reason for hope this week, and that is that the House just passed the $2 trillion spending bill, the Build Back Better bill. So pretty big news, really. This proposal would mark the biggest climate investment in U.S. history at half a trillion dollars worth. So here, here's some of the kind of the highlights, I think. The credit on electric vehicles will be increased uh, from 7500 to 12500 for cars manufactured in union-organized factories in the United States. And much like we talked about, I think, when we talked about tax credits for electric vehicles in prior episodes, car buyers will get the rebates right at the time of sale instead of having to wait. That's uh, huge. It will, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. It will extend uh, the credits for installing solar panels, geothermal pumps, small wind turbines, and other residential clean energy projects, uh, covering up to 30%. Includes uh, $6 billion for uh, qualifying electrification projects. Um, converting gas or fossil fuel-powered appliances to electric alternatives, uh, installing heat pumps. There's another $6 billion in there to support home energy efficiency retrofits. Depending on how much energy is saved, could could range from uh, two grand to four grand, and uh, raises $100 billion in tax revenue from fossil fuel companies and includes a fee on methane gas to encourage companies to curb leaks. One thing that was left out of the wish list here was the Clean Energy Performance Program, but overall, it's a bill with a lot of stuff in it. It's a lot of money to clean energy projects, and I think it's a it's a huge, huge deal. That's big. So in today's episode, we're going to be digging into COP26, the recent climate conference in Glasgow that wrapped up, and focus not just on the outcomes, which have been covered to some degree, but really looking forward to sort of what's next, given that we didn't get all that we wanted. Before we uh, before we dig in, how much Todd did you know about uh, kind of the results here before you started your research? Well, I'd, we'd been following it a little bit, and I, you know, in some of our previous episodes, and I'd been following, you know, ma- mainly just following the news, so I hadn't really dug in in great detail. Uh, so it was nice to kind of dig into some of the. And I, of course, you hear a lot of complaining. You know, they're just talking and they're not doing right. Yeah, I. You know, similarly, I felt like I knew a fair amount of highlights, but it's a little more nuanced when you dig into the details. And then I think there's this bigger question of, you know, was it really realistic to think that it was going to solve everything or was, should we feel good knowing that it made some valuable incremental progress? For sure. 
Well, regardless, uh, for those who who may not be super familiar with COP26 and, and why it, it matters, COP26 is short for the Conference of the Parties. In essence, all the countries that are you know participating in these global climate summits. The reason it's called COP26 is that it's actually this was the 26th you know conference of the parties. So the the climate summit in Egypt next year will be called COP27. Nice. And I don't know, Todd, if you want to kind of talk or refresh folks on what the sort of the goals were of the of the summit. Yeah. So they came up with four fairly simple goals here. The first being uh, secure global net zero by mid-century and keep 1.5 degrees within reach. So that would be, you know, accelerating the phase out of coal, stopping deforestation, speeding up the switch to electric vehicles. The second goal was to adapt to protect communities and natural habitats, restoring ecosystems, warning systems, and resilient infrastructure and agriculture to avoid loss of homes and livelihoods and lives from climate change. And third is to mobilize finance, uh, spelled with a Z. Because <laughs> when I went to the, <laughs> the site that I found this from, they had mobilize spelled with an S and defense spelled with a C. And I was like, what? What is wrong with these people? And I had to look it up. I'm like, mobilize with an S. And it was the British, I guess, spell these these words all funky. And I was kind of thinking like, you lost the war. Just spell this the way it's supposed to be spelled. So it was mobilized at least $100 billion in climate <laughs> finance per year by 2020. And four was work together to deliver. And we'll we'll see later, you know, how, how all these turned out, right? You know, some of our British listeners might take issue with the differences in spellings. I mean, they might view our spellings as problematic. I just wanted to play devil's advocate there. I don't care what they... <laughs> That's on them. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think next we will look at what progress was made in the gaps that remain. But first off, what grade would you, Jason, give... Cop twenty six. I think I'd give them a a C minus. So Ooh. yeah. Well, I mean, That's there was good. there was some incremental progress. Certainly, you know, we don't have, and we'll get into this. We don't have enough of the you know pledges in place to get us to where we need to go. We're still well short there, but I don't want to diminish some of the progress that was made. That makes sense. You know how how uh, how did your parents feel when you used to come home with a, a C minus or a D plus? Was that was that considered success? They said, you went to school? Uh, you know, I... <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a good question. I think they would have been disappointed, but after a while, I think they just gave up. They just accepted <laughs> the reality? I mean, most of the time, I was okay, but I was always kind of lollygagging and had my head in the clouds about something, so I'm sure I brought home a couple C-minuses my day. <laughs> You were straight A's, and don't lie. Pretty much, I might, I might have done pretty well, but I also <laughs> I didn't have my head in the clouds very much. I wish, you know, in hindsight, I had the opportunity to do more of that. You were nosing to the grindstone, pretty much, yeah, all the way through. So we thought we'd start out with kind of you know the bad news before we cover the good news. I know Todd, you looked into where the conference fell short and some of that. You know, it's on the financial side of things. Yeah, uh, you know, 
the the finance part portion of this was insufficient. Uh, developed countries committed uh, back in '09 to provide 100 billion a year by 2020 through 2025, and. Uh, We've not hit that. I think we hit $79 billion in 2019, which is still short of our goal. And basically, that funding was to help these developing countries become greener and more climate resilient, right? And the reality is, is that even $100 billion is not going to cut it. That was, that was one of the gaps. So for the loss and damage fund, some of the vulnerable countries you know, have really been advocating for this. And it was intended to cover things like, you know, disappearing land and loss of life. But developed nations, and the U.S. was a part of this, unfortunately, really pushed back on this idea. And I'm not really sure why, but they did. Uh, they, but they did end the agreement to, to agree to more dialogue about it. So, you know, basically, we agreed to talk more about whether we should be giving countries who are suffering from this problem that really the the wealthy nations have created here, right? In all their expansion over history. Um, totally. So, you know, we've we've kind of created this problem and and are we gonna kind of bail them out here? One of the one of the quotes was, you know, there's about two million people at risk of starvation in Kenya due to extreme drought, right? And Kariako Tobiko from their Ministry of Environment and Forestry was really disappointed in this portion of the summit and what happened here. And uh, his quote was, what we have in mind is not giving money to consultants to fly around and come educate us and teach us about what loss and damage is. And I thought that was <laughs> <laughs> pretty to the point, you know, because I can totally see how this goes. You know, it's like somebody flies in and walks around and, you know, I, and he's they're really looking for results here and they're not they're not seeing it. Well, to be clear, the the climate finance commitments that were made are, you know, totally separate from this damage and loss fund. In other words, even this climate finance piece has fallen short and now we're just starting to push the discussion of the need to compensate these countries that are going to be, in some cases, you know, irreparably damaged as a result of climate change. And it's just ironic to me that like, you know, the wealthy country that created the problem is sort of wanting to punt this, even though we have the money and means to make it right. Exactly. Well, I know that there was also talk of the targets for 2030 that were discussed here, and I know you looked into some of that. Yeah, so as, as folks may be familiar, we really, you know, with Paris, have been aiming towards this target of 1.5 degrees worth of warming, that is limiting warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Right, based on what scientists tell us is, is really kind of a tipping point. And so the the pledges that came in for Glasgow help kind of narrow the gap, but only on the order of like 15 to 17%, according to the Climate Action Tracker. 15 to 17% is a start, but that's yeah. not near where we wanted to be. And some of the problem was that targets weren't as ambitious as they should have been. In certain cases, you had big countries that just resubmitted their target from 2015, even though the the way the language, the Paris Agreement teed things up, you're supposed to come with a more ambitious target. So like Russia, Australia just re- resubmitted their old target, nothing right. more ambitious. You actually had countries that submitted a less aggressive target, like you know Mexico and Brazil, which is really disappointing. And then countries like Turkey that submitted you know no target. 
to give some context, if we look sort of towards 2050, we're looking at it, you know, with existing, all the existing pledges and targets, some of which aren't even binding, best case, 1.8 degrees worth of warming. And, and then if you look, step back and look at like actual real world policies, you know, what's actually been passed and is binding, we'd be on track to 2.7 degrees Celsius worth of warming, which would just be devastating. So the moral of the story is there was some small incremental progress. That's great, but there's a lot more work to go. Yeah. I mean, this is this is kind of where the, the rubber meets the road here, right? If whatever they're talking about or whatever they're doing there isn't going to do anything to actually limit these temperatures, it's kind of just lip service. And I, th- I think the idea, too, when you talk about these targets is that I think they're, they're supposed to get progressively, you know, progressively more ambitious. More more ambitious. Yeah, that's 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 what I was trying to say. And it doesn't seem like in some cases that was happening. Yeah, I mean, I wonder with, you know, some countries like Russia whether they're, you know, they're not really broken up too much about the whole climate change thing given that, you know, they're finally getting to free up some of that arctic beachfront property. Maybe Putin and his buddies are going water skiing or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Did he even come to this thing? No. I, he's already water skiing. He's not even he's not even participating. Yeah, I mean certainly what the citizens of Russia would look for on climate action is is probably very different than than uh, their leader. Right. So that's that's sort of the bad news. Um yeah. Moving to the good news, there you know there was some real progress on you know methane reduction targets, so methane is about 80 times more potent than CO2. And so any real reduction there is is really meaningful. And you had over 100 countries pledge to cut their methane emissions 30% by 2030. Those 100 countries, you know, encompass about 50% of, of global methane emissions, which is, which is, which is big. Yeah. Uh, maybe not surprisingly, China and Russia didn't join that pledge. But, you know, nonetheless, that's That's significant. It is significant and and progress in the right direction. Yeah. Another major accomplishment was over 140 countries signing on to halt deforestation by by 2030. And, you know, those countries cover roughly 90% of all forest land. You've got, you know, Brazil in there, which is obviously essential given the importance of the Amazon. Obviously, it's going to be key with the deforestation pledge to ensure oversight. You know, I mean, it's one thing to pledge; it's another thing to make sure it gets done. But I think it's significant to you know to have these 140 plus nations sign on to say that you know that we need to cut deforestation. All right. Next, <laughs> yeah, another big accomplishment at COP26 was the vehicle pledge, which was that no further sales of fossil fuel powered cars by 2040, which is a big deal, and. The automakers that are that are part of this, uh, GM already committed to 2035 phase out. Uh, Volvo has already committed to a 2030 phase out, and we had some exciting newcomers here. Ford, Mercedes Benz, and Jaguar Land Rover have joined this list as well, which is huge, especially with Ford. So you know we have Ford and GM now that are are phasing out in basically 2035, 2040. Unfortunately, notably missing from the list, Toyota. Honda, Volkswagen, Hyundai, Kia, those are just among some of the automakers that are not part of this pledge. Uh, notable countries that 
signed this pledge were the UK, all of Scandinavia, India, and Canada. So that's that's pretty significant, you know? It's big. So yeah, I think this is definitely good progress. I mean, got to focus on the automakers that got on board, and this just exerts more pressure on the Toyotas and the Volkswagens of the world to, to join. Yeah, definitely. And I, I thought that pledge was exciting too, because even though they'd said no further sales of fossil fuel vehicles by 2040, they were aiming for selling only zero emission vehicles in lead what they call leading markets. So, you know, more of the developed world by 2035. So really by 2035, phasing out, you know, fossil fuel consuming vehicles in, in major markets. Yeah, that's, that's huge. I would have never, you know, guessed that 10 years ago. It's, it's true. And, you know, again, I, I, it's like, while we got to acknowledge that there's shortcomings, some pretty major ones with this, the conference, we got to remember that we're still making progress. And this is a big, you know, I think a big milestone. Yeah. And it's nice that we're back, you know, that the U.S. is, is there participating. So, yeah. I mean, our two biggest auto manufacturers joining that, that list yeah. is, is big. And then there were some other, you know, kind of key developments. This was the first time in any of these climate summits that there was an acknowledgement of the need to phase out coal and and to get rid of fossil fuel subsidies. It's kind of shocking to me that that this is the first time that's happening. Uh, but yeah. but nonetheless, and and I think the other one of the other you know key outcomes was the fact that they called on all nations to really revisit and strengthen their 2030 targets by the end of 2022. So try to hold some of these countries' feet to the fire. Yeah, that's awesome. There was also a kind of a surprise announcement that the U.S. and China agreed to work together to strengthen and accelerate climate action and cooperation, uh, which nobody really knows what that means yet, and it doesn't actually (laughs) hold anybody to anything. But John Kerry seemed really excited about it and said, you know, this is the first time that China and the United States have stood up the two biggest emitters in the world and said, we're going to work together to accelerate, you know, the reduction. So I think it's a positive, even though we don't really know what's going to come of it yet. Yeah, it's definitely good. I mean, it's it's a framework nonetheless and gets that conversation started. So I think the the big question for us really after come to terms with the accomplishments and the shortcomings of COP26 was this question of like, well, where do we, where do we go from here? Right. And, you know, there are, I'm sure many perspectives on what we need to do to move forward. And, but we thought we'd, we'd share our thoughts. I, I think it's important to step back and remember that, you know, not all emissions are created equally. In other words, we have heavy industry that accounts for, you know, 20% of global emissions. And while we need to we need to get rid of those emissions. Those are going to be harder ones to do. But on the flip side, we have things like electricity that accounts for, you know, a quarter of global emissions, transportation, you know, 14, 15% of global emissions. And the beauty is we've got the technology today to to make those kind of transitions. And so in my mind, that's that's where we need to be focusing most of our effort. Like let's not forget about the hard stuff, but let's take care of all the low-hanging fruit. And and as a reminder to people in kind of the timeline that we're looking at here, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has said that we need to, you know, cut emissions by roughly 50% by 2030. And we say that again, 50% by 2030, given that we're going into 2022. So that's a lot of work to do. Um, And that's what's needed to keep us on the trajectory of 
1.5 degrees Celsius, which is becoming more and more kind of elusive. But I don't think it's outside the realm of the possible. It just takes thinking outside the box and taking current you know actions and instead of seeing them ramp up linearly, really ramp up exponentially. Yeah, that that's a huge number. But like you said, I, you know, we we can we we should try to get as close as we can. Absolutely, each tenth of a degree that we go over one point five degrees Celsius means a lot. So, if we don't hit one point five, then we should be aiming for one point six or one point seven. You know, the closer we can stay to one point five, the less the damage, the less the potential for you know irreversible damage. So, yeah, everything matters after one point five. Yeah, for sure. So how do we get there? What do we need to do? As we look forward, I mean, the obvious is, you know, seeing rapid cuts to fossil fuels. If you look at the Climate Action Tracker website, which does a great job of really assessing, you know, current commitments and how they line up with what we need to do, you know, they're saying we really need to look at phasing out coal completely by by 2030. And so that's going to mean, you know, closing coal plants in the developed world as quickly as we can. And then for those countries that are, you know, in the growth mode, really ensuring that they jump directly to renewables rather than than putting in coal plants. The other thing that we're going to need to do that didn't maybe get as much attention at COP26 in my mind is that we also got to stop or slow the growth of, of natural gas. And while we got to acknowledge that, you know, natural gas is incrementally better than coal, it's it's still putting carbon emissions up in the air. Right. Um, and and that's problematic given that we only have so much more that we can emit and still expect to hit our targets. Yeah, it's definitely not the answer is to just replace coal with natural gas. No, I mean it's it's almost like, you know, kind of switching from like hard alcohol to light beer, you know? It's like you still drink enough of the light beer, you're still gonna get drunk. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean they're they're both problematic natural gas is just less problematic right right it'll 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 still hurt you indeed i feel like the fossil fuels thing is one of those areas too that's that's really a struggle and i feel like there's a lot of these developing nations that are really expecting to be able to utilize fossil fuels for you know cheap power right that's why we need the u.s and some of these other wealthy nations to really step up on that that kind of pledge to get to get these countries the funds they need to make sure they kind of develop renewables. Absolutely. That's really the the key to this whole thing. I mean, in the developed world where you have massive deployments of renewable energy underway, I feel like it's much easier for us to to, you know, mothball a coal plant, but in the developing world where their electricity needs are just exploding, we really need to give them that extra, you know, funding they need to make the right decision on this. We can't expect that they're they're going to get be able to get there on their own. For sure. And you know, part of that too is not just incentivizing the development of renewables, but it's also subsidizing and ramping up the deployment of of energy storage. And I know we talked about this on other podcasts, but if you want to get off of, you know, fossil fuels, it means you've got to be able to store energy for when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't isn't blowing. And yeah. so that's going to be a key part of this. Definitely. The the second pillar, if you will, I think that that we desperately need to work on is 
you know, blunting the the fossil fuel lobby. And I don't pretend that that's an easy task, but, you know, let's be honest, these companies are still having a huge impact on countries' willingness to make the pledges that are needed to get us to, to carbon neutral. You know, they're funding climate disinformation, they're buying influence with politicians. And, you know, the fact is 99% of it's going on behind closed doors. And so unless you're really paying attention, it's easy to overlook. There was, you know, just recently, actually in advance of the COP26 conference, the U.S. House held a hearing with oil execs to really kind of grill them on their support of disinformation. Unfortunately, when asked whether they would pledge to stop lobbying against climate action and undermine electric vehicles, their answer was no, which is hugely problematic. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not unlike these opioid manufacturers claiming that their, you know, their drugs are safe and necessary when we know that there's millions of Americans being harmed by them. And so, yeah, I mean, I think Congress needs to continue to take them to task. And, you know, I'm excited to see that there are multiple lawsuits moving forward filed by states and municipalities that are really trying to seek for the first time damages Mm -hmm. from these companies, knowing that they knew the problem was there and yet they continued forward promoting and 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 in reality hiding a lot of the information they had that indicated fossil fuels were problematic yeah i mean they're they know what's going on and they're they're just lying and they've been doing it for a long time and you know they they pretty much are concerned with you know the almighty dollar right and that's yeah. what's going on I thought uh, that Ani Dasgupta, who's the president of the World Resource Resources Institute, he said it's inexcusable that developed countries failed to meet their commitment to deliver $100 billion annually starting in 2020, even as they provide hundreds of billions of dollars in subsidies for fossil fuels each year. That's pretty direct language there. Uh, <laughs> and he's, uh, you know... He's spot they're, on. They're right. So. Yeah. I mean, it's it's... Yeah. I could rant on this for hours, but it, it really is hugely problematic. And so, so in my mind, it has to be a focus if we're really going to, if we're going to get countries to make and adhere to pledges that are going to get us to where we need to be. Agreed. I think the third pillar is really pressuring other countries to, to step up their pledges. And while, you know, in the U.S. we only have so much influence, you know, as you shared earlier about the Build Back Better bill, we need to lead by example, right? We, we can't mm-hmm. keep showing up with empty promises. And so we need to get this bill across the finish line so that we can show that our commitments aren't hollow. And, and then it makes it easier to have that discussion with China or whomever to step up their commitments and to follow through. I, I think the other tool in our toolbox is a carbon border adjustment, which this is a wonky word, but in essence, like putting a tariff on goods coming in from countries that don't have aggressive climate targets and, and reduction goals. And, you know, naturally that helps incent the creation of more aggressive targets on their end and, and implementation of, of existing targets. So, you know, to me, those are at least two things that we have to be able to help nudge countries in the, in the right direction. Yeah. So that being said, uh, what what can we do? Yeah, I think the most immediate thing we can do, at least for those listeners here in the U.S., 
is to call your senator and tell him to pass the Build Back Better bill. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think this is this is the big one here. And after you call your senator, uh, light up Joe Manchin, <laughs> Kristen Cinema. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just keep going. But yeah, I mean, the other thing we don't want to do, too, is hopefully that this thing doesn't get stripped down to nothing, you know? So we, we've got to support this thing and try to get everything that's in it, in it across the finish line here. Yeah, and I know calling up your senator doesn't feel like necessarily the easiest thing. You know, I know myself, even after calling many a time, you still worry about how you're going to sound and making sure you cover all the bases. We will be putting resources on our, our website to help with that. And and if you're not the kind of person who wants to pick up the phone and feel more comfortable writing, that can also have an impact. So in the big picture, I think we made some progress with COP26. There's certainly a lot more work to go. And I think at the end of the day, getting that work done really sits with all of us to to make our voices heard. I know I rant about this often, but I really believe that it's the case. If we don't speak out, you know, clearly that fossil fuel companies are are speaking out. We need to make our voices heard to ensure that there's a counterpoint on all this. So yeah, reach out and make that call or send that message. Well, that's about a wrap for today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. Come back next week for more Climate Solutions, Reasons for Hope, and Ways Each of Us Can Make a Difference. Climate Optimist is made possible by Climate Stewards Collective. You can find us on the web at climateoptimist.co. That's climateoptimist.co. And don't forget to follow us on social at Climate Optimist Podcast. Climate Optimist Podcast.